Podcast 201, Education on Wills and Trusts. Hello, this is Suzanne Porsky from Phoenix Financial Group, LLC, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In my most recent book, authored and published, Achieve Financial Success, one of my favorite chapters is on planning and education of wills and trusts. With 33 years experience in the financial services industry, and now author of two published books on financial planning, it is my pleasure to share with you today my knowledge, personal experience, and understanding on wills and trusts and their importance in your financial organization and planning. As part of my continuous effort to educate on finances, I often travel to do seminars and group presentations. After one of my seminars, a gentleman approached me, this is in the early years, um, to share some thoughts on my presentation. He brought to my attention that I was missing a real important element of the financial planning. He appreciated the common sense applications I developed through a financial blueprint, but he asked me what would happen if there was an unexpected death, disablement, or incapacitation. Did I have a plan for any of those events in the financial house? The question this gentleman posed made me seriously stop and think. With all the time and planning I had dedicated to providing for my family while we were alive and healthy and as a mother of two very young children at the time, I needed to ask myself some important questions. What would have happened if my husband and I at the time were both in the car at the time of my horrible car accident and both of us had been incapacitated? What would have happened to our kids then? What would happen to our savings and investments? Who would take care of our estate and financial obligations until we recovered? I'm sure there are plenty of people who would have had, have, would have a hard time finding an answer to any of those important questions. The answers become plain and easy once you become educated though. And in this podcast, some necessary information to begin estate planning will be given to you as well as information regarding trust currently being called legacy planning in the world of financial professionals. So let me begin by clarifying all the legalese that can be so confusing. Then I'm going to address some common questions. And I'm hoping by the end of this podcast that you'll agree that your financial house would not be complete without a legally sound estate plan. So let's talk about your current plan. No one likes to think about the uncertainties of this life. We naturally avoid thinking about death becoming disabled, or losing the capacity to make even the most basic decisions. Since most people have failed to do any estate planning at all, not even a will, the federal government and the legal system have provided us an estate planning system that is time-consuming, cumbersome, and affords no privacy. Well, it's also terribly expensive. If you die without a will, the laws of intestate secession will provide one for you. This requires probate. If you become disabled or incapacitated to the point you cannot handle your own affairs, you will go through a process called conservatorship. In other words, the courts will appoint an individual to manage things for you. Raise your hand if you want the state and local government running your financial affairs. No, thank you. Suppose that you and your spouse were to die in a car accident. The courts would step in and determine your children's future through a process called guardianship. If your kids were still younger, under the age of 18. The state then would decide what is in the best interest of your children, and usually the courts award custody to a blood relative. However, you're not going to be there to choose which relative. Are you comfortable leaving your children's future in the hands of the court system? 
If no one is found who can legally inherit your property, the state could take your property through a legal doctrine known as a SCHEAP. The state is the ultimate beneficiary of your estate. Uncle Sam isn't necessarily going to wait around for people to die. The financial and legal decisions you make affect your estate through tax consequences. And every dollar the government takes in taxes is one less dollar that you can leave for your loved ones. In the midst of personal crisis, your family may be required to appear in court to make decisions about your affairs, which are public record. And if you're unable to make your own decisions, even the most routine matters require court approval. With some simple common sense planning, most, if not all of it, can be avoided. Personally, a year ago, last April 20th, was coming back from overseas with my husband. We were on a layover in Las Vegas. We got a phone call that his 54-year-old brother was found dead in his home. And he was a single man, no children. Um, he supposedly had left a will. By the time we were able to get back home and then get to his place, uh, people had already moved in his home. They would not allow us to be in there, to go in there, so we had to call the police, and we had to start the whole process in the court system, which cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And so this is real personal to me, and that's why I can't share it enough how important it is for you to have at least a will and don't have it on your person or somewhere in your home, that being the only copy. Make sure you give it to other people and other loved ones um, outside of your home in case, you know, something was to happen to that will. You don't just have one of them. Okay, so how do I estate plan, you might be asking. Planning your estate is a process and not a one-time decision. Your plan must keep pace with your life. When your circumstances change through marriage, the birth of a child, a new job, or any other event, your estate plan should be updated to reflect the impact of those changes. There's two kinds of primary instruments used in estate planning, wills and trusts, which we also call legacy planning. A will is just a written document that states what you would like done with your estate after your death. The person who creates the will is called a testator. The will specifies conditions that must be met before the property may be fully disposed of and who receives the estate property. To be enforceable, the will must meet certain legal requirements. I think of a will as just a, almost a handwritten note to the judge to say this is, this is what my requests are because they're completely contestable and anybody can see it. It's public record and anybody can show up and tell the judge whatever he wants um, and you're not there. You have your piece of paper but then that, even that's been brought into question. If you were of sound mind when you wrote the will, etc. So what are the advantages, or I'm sorry, what are the disadvantages of leaving only a will? Like I said, they're fully public. Probate happens in open court, so anyone can come to court and to read the probate file of anyone else. And really, who wants your most personal affairs aired out in public? Wills are often challenged by disgruntled heirs. The court setting seems to encourage litigation over your wishes and you're not going to be there to set the record straight. Again, I feel like it's just a personal note that you've left for the judge. Wills do not cross state lines very well. If you move to another state, the laws of that state will be used to interpret your will. If you own, own real property in several states, there must be a separate probate opened in each state. Wills may not provide any federal estate planning, and wills do not provide for your disability. They take effect only upon your death. Again, um, wills lead to probate. Probate costs money. There are several problems associated with probate, such as legal and executor fees. 
as well as other special fees that can range from 10 to 20% of the gross estate. And before your estate can be fully distributed to your heirs, all those fees must be paid. The court process can take from one to two years or more. And during this time, assets are usually frozen, which means nothing can be distributed or sold without the court's and or the executor's approval. And I'm telling you, I know this firsthand. We could not do anything with my brother-in-law's stuff without writing it down, giving it to the attorney who presented it to the judge, and he made a decision if we were able to get rid of it or not. Then if we did get rid of it, we gave it away. We had to put a, a value of what we thought it was worth. And if it was sold for cash, we had to mark that, have a receipt, and uh, show a proof to the courts in the accounting of it. So your personal affairs in a will become available for public viewing so anybody can see what you owned and who you owed money to and put a claim on your estate. So please don't be fooled into thinking probate is not required because probate maybe didn't arise on a previous death of another loved one. I've had people tell me that because it's likely that no probate was required because they had joint tendency, tendency with a spouse. And sometimes just with um, a parent or something, there was joint tendency on an account or on a uh, car or a house. Uh, joint tenancy is a form of ownership that allows a surviving joint tenant to inherit property without going through the probate process. However, when only one joint tenant survives, probate will be required to transfer assets upon the remaining joint tenant's death. So how do you avoid probate? Well, some of it's pretty simple. Joint bank account, either by putting someone's name on the account with you or designating someone to be the beneficiary that you can pass the proceeds of the account directly to that person. Beneficiaries can be designated on IRAs, stocks, bonds, bank accounts, even automobiles. You can have joint ownership. That's how you avoid probate. So assets can be titled jointly with someone else. Real estate can be held jointly in several ways. You just have to check your state laws. The most typical arrangement is joint tenancy, though. When one tenant dies, the other assumes full control of the title. You can avoid probate by reducing the size of your estate. In some states, probate only occurs if the, uh, if the estate is large enough to qualify for it. You can make gifts to reduce your estate, but beware of the tax consequences for you and the recipient or you can simply spend down your estate. You just need to check with your state laws to determine if that's going to be a benefit to you or not. Okay, on a side note, I want to mention medical directives. So this really has nothing directly to do with your estate or your assets. It is crucial to fill one of these out. Not having a medical directive, also known as a living will, could cost you and your entire estate if you're put on life support and you didn't want to be. A medical directive, living will, whatever you want to call it these days, is a specific and comprehensive advanced care document developed for a person which addresses and tries to anticipate that person's health care wants and needs at the end of his or her life. The medical directive should be specific and provide examples that help the individual understand various illness circumstances and evaluate types of life-sustaining interventions that might be employed. In theory, this paperwork should help the individual designate his or her preferences with respect to specific treatments and provide details on who would make the decisions in the event of the individual becoming mentally incompetent. And I touched base on this um, earlier. It's in the beginning of my book. I was involved in a horrible car accident, and I lost my memory for 18 months. My kids were very young. I was the only one in the car, so I had a spouse 
who was able to take care of the children and make some decisions for me along with my parents during the recovery. Um, I should have had a medical directive at the time because just to make sure that my wishes were going to be taken care of if for some reason they were not able to do that for me. An example is I had a relative uh, that was fighting cancer and had complications with his health throughout his treatment plan. He would share with me that if he was to code, stop breathing on his own, that he wanted to be put on life support and one breath taken away every 10 minutes to allow the family and loved ones to say their goodbyes. He had a daughter that was not going to respect his wishes. Therefore, he filled out a medical directive and sent a notarized copy to his physicians and gave me one so that there was no confusion on what his final wishes were. Another example of a medical directive is my biological father. He was on a liver transplant list. He filled out a medical directive and had it notarized and sent originals to his physicians and one to me. While waiting for the donor uh, liver to become available, he was out of state and became very ill and was put on life support. He was with his girlfriend of 17 years who told the hospital that they were married and that he was her husband and that they were to do everything they could to keep him alive. To this day, I still am not sure how they found out that she was lying and how they got my phone number, but the hospital called me. When the call came in and I told them of, and he, they were telling me of his condition and that he was on life support, I immediately shared that I had his notarized medical directive that specifically stated that he did not want to be on life support. They had me fax that over to the hospital and they honored his wishes. His estate was not charged for the five days in ICU on life support and all the organ donations that he requested to, uh, to take place were all honored and that was so important to him. And so that made me feel so good that we had taken care of that, that aspect of his uh, medical. Let me make this clear. I cannot stress it enough that these methods should be elements of your overall plan and should not be overlooked. So please put this on your to-do list at the very top. Um, contact myself, my office, get online, Google, YouTube, whatever you need to, to get medical directives or a living will completed and taken care of hit the print button, print that out, sign it, get it notarized, and make copies and give them to, to those that you love around you. Okay, revocable living trust and legacy planning. When you establish a trust, you essentially become the owners of a company. It is as if you've created a person that will honor your wishes. And if you have children, you become the trustee and could assign to your children or anyone you prefer the right to act on your behalf in the event of death or incapacitation. So as I said, when my children were younger, I designated who would receive the assets from the trust and who will be the recipients of the disbursement. Again, this was long after my car accident. I wish I would have had it in place um, just as extra insurance before I was in an accident. But so as long and a trust, as long as you're alive, you can be the creator, the manager, known as the trustee, and the beneficiary of the trust. What would happen if a person did not die but was out in La La Land, like I was for a short time, or completely incapacitated and not married. They would want to have a plan in place to handle their estate and to take care, or, and to take care for their children's welfare if it became necessary. And this is uh, where a trust is more comprehensive than a will. A trust is an agreement in which your name successor takes control of the trust to protect and conserve it for either the grantor or the trust beneficiaries. The trustee is usually given complete authority to invest the property for return. 
Until you recover, your chosen successor trustee manages the trust property in accordance with your stated wishes and with your best interests in mind. Establishing a trust, as I stated previously, is like creating a business, or I even like to think of it as creating a person. From a legal standpoint, it is a separate entity with its own social security number, or what's really called a taxpayer ID number. It even has the authority to buy and sell its own assets. A trust status, a trust status as a separate legal entity continues after the death of the grantor. So you might die, but from the day of your death, that trust stays alive for 99 years. There are three appointed positions in a trust. There's the grantor, which is the creator of the trust. They set up the trust by putting assets and property into that trust. There is a trustee who is the manager of the trust. In a revocable living trust, you can be your own trustee with a successor name to take over in accordance with your instructions. Then there's the beneficiary. The beneficiary receives the benefits from the trust property and or income. You may receive the income for life and then have the assets distributed to your heirs in accordance with your instructions. A revocable living trust can be revoked by the grantor at any time or changed any time during their lifetime. The grantor has complete and total control over the trust and investments of the trust assets. Again, this is an irrevocable living trust. If you have an irrevocable living trust, different rules. Once again, it's important to remember a trust stays alive even if the grantor passes away. It is important to name a successor trustee in your trust. You may want the trust to continue for some time after your death. There are two situations where this may become necessary. First, if you have minor children, the trust may govern distributions to them until they are of age to take control of the estate. And secondly, if your beneficiary were unable to provide for themselves for any reason, you would want your successor trustee to retain control. Let me give you another quick example. When my kids were younger, I stated in my trust who I wanted them to live with, how much money I wanted those, that family, those, the, the person that was taking care of my children, I, um, how much to be paid every month, and specifically stated my wishes for my kids' college education, even uh, elementary school education all the way through college education, and when and how much money they were to receive at designated ages. Because of the size of the life insurance um, and savings and retirement, I didn't want them to get it all in a lump sum. When I worked at Bank of America, there was um, a young boy. His father had been killed in a car accident on the highway that was right outside of the, the bank. And so the proceeds from the life insurance policy um, were awarded to him. But because he was only four years old, it was put into an account and trust for him. There was nothing we could do as we watched the ex-wife completely drain that savings account over all those years because there was nothing in place and she was a guardian over him. And so it's so important if you've got young kids or you have um, your assets that you want to make sure are taken care of in a specific manner after you pass away that you write it down and you put it in your trust. I also put stipulations in the trust for court-appointed accountability and record-keeping. So, living trusts have an advantage over wills in that they avoid probate, minimizing all the delays probate causes and all the costs. Living trusts are private. There is no disclosure of your private affairs. Additionally, it is more difficult to contest the terms of a living trust since you have management of the trust for an extended period of time and your wishes are therefore easier to determine. 
Finally, your living trust legacy plan should contain a plan to eliminate or reduce estate and other taxes. Although there are many advantages to a living trust, it cannot shield assets from nursing home costs and assets held in a revocable living trust will be considered to be your assets, assets for purposes of Medicaid eligibility unless the laws have changed uh, in the future. Medicaid is the government program which covers some of the costs of nursing home care for those eligible. But eligibility is available only to those whose income and assets are under allowable levels. Felt like I needed to put that disclosure in there. There are several documents that should accompany your living trust and are included in most estate plannings done by professionals, and they include a pour-over will. A pour-over will directs that any property that wasn't included in your living trust at the time of your death pours over into the trust. A power of attorney for health care, very similar to the medical directives. What a power of attorney for health care gives a person designated by you the ability to make all your medical decisions for you if you're not able to. A general power of attorney governs financial decisions if you're unable to and will help you avoid conservatorship proceedings. And again, a, a physician's medical directive instructing a doctor of your wishes regarding life support and may contain other clauses containing your treatment wishes if you are ill and able to communicate. One of the last ones I assisted somebody in doing, um, we were able to be real specific and say, okay, if, if there's no brain activity, um, then I do not want to be put on life support. That's what the, the person's request was. But she also wanted to make sure that she was willing to donate her organs, but not for any type of science or educational reasons. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. It's her body, her, her wishes, and so we got explicit and put that down in her medical directives. Okay, well, what's the cost of estate planning? Clearly, written wills and trusts can minimize the cost of administrating an estate, Initially, you're going to notice trust costs more than wills, but that cost is a fraction of what probate is going to take. The cost of living trust will vary substantially from attorney to attorney or financial professional um, to financial professional, and also from state to state. It'll depend on your particular estate planning needs, but it is such an important and necessary step for planning and preparing. Typically, a trust can cost anywhere from about $750 to $1,500, depending on the estate value and the needs. Wills cost less and are easy to set up. But if you feel the way that most financial professionals do, setting up a will would only be a starting point until you establish a trust. I know in the past there are some prepaid legal programs that run an average of like $25 per month for unlimited attorney advice, and they offer a complimentary will when you sign up. So you may want to check into it and see if those are still available. Again, friends, it's only a bandage until you find the financial resources to establish a trust. Your estate plan affects every asset you own, including tax ramifications and final distributions. It is virtually impossible to effectively plan your estate without a legal and tax background, and you should seek the guidance of a financial professional. Many sources exist for purchases of a living trust. When you sit down with an attorney or financial professional to establish a trust and talk about your legacy planning, they're gonna need information on your goals, needs, and overall family and financial situation. This is another area that maybe a financial analysis will come in real handy. Financial analysis, um, which uh, my company offers as well, is just a, a form of organization of all your assets and liabilities. And uh, it's just real handy to take that with you when you're filling out uh, any kind of paperwork, especially for a will or a trust. Your analysis provides information to the attorney to help them set up the will and trust. 
Too often, expense or lack of education will prevent clients and attorneys from adequately coordinating personal desires with legal and tax considerations. Without this coordination, an estate plan which carries out individuals' desires at the lowest possible price cannot be designed. Trusts are like any type of estate and financial planning. They must be customized to your financial and individual situation. This is your legacy that you're creating. As a consumer, you are paying for individual advice on what would be best for your current financial picture. Achieving the individual's desired objective must be the primary goal of any estate plan. Without a will or trust, a person has absolutely no opportunity to personally select a guardian for minor children or to name the person who should manage the children or grandchildren's assets until they are distributed to the children at a particular age or to select the person who should handle the details of distributing the estate. Without estate planning, the important decisions are left to be made by a judge who can only apply statutes and attempt to determine what should be made for distribution and management of assets. If no special provisions are made, children, grandchildren, whoever, receive their share of the estate upon reaching the age of maturity. Through the trust provisions, parents can give directions and restrictions on how and when assets should be distributed. This alone makes a living trust beneficial regardless of the level of cost savings. If you're like most people, planning your estate isn't on the top of, the, of your list of things to do, which I'm hoping after this podcast you'll be encouraged to put it back up on the top. Planning your income needs for retirement, managing your assets, and just living your life without worrying about how your estate's going to be handled when you're gone make legacy planning less than attractive for a Saturday afternoon task. And the fact of the matter, however, is that if you don't plan your legacy, someone else will. And that someone else, like I've stated, is usually a combination of the IRS and the government entities, lawyers, executors, courts, and accountants. Who do you think has the best interest of your beneficiaries in mind? My brother-in-law, Scott, who passed away, there's so many times I just stop on going through his stuff, his old records and old, um, just a lot of the stuff that he collected and he'd make notes of um, where he bought it or a little story about it. I just wanted to say, who did you have in mind? Who do you want us to give this to? And that's what I encourage you to do. Walk around your home um, and see what you have and what you who you hope would get that and why you've kept it so long and what's the meaning of it. So when most people thinking about an estate, it may seem like something only the really wealthy have, a stately manor or enormous business or something. But friends, it's not. A legacy is something else entirely. A legacy is more than the sum total of the financial assets that you've accumulated. It's the lasting impression that you're going to make on those you leave behind. The dollar and cents are just a small part of a trust. A legacy encompasses the stories that others tell about you, shared experiences and values. An estate through a trust may pay for college tuition, but a legacy may inform your grandchildren about the importance of higher education and self-reliance. A trust may also contain family heirlooms or items of emotional significance. Maybe a piece of art your great-grandmother painted, family photos, or a childhood uh, keepsake. So when you go about planning your trust, certainly explore strategies that can maximize the financial benefit to the ones you care about. But also take the time to ensure that you have organized the whole of your legacy and let that be a part of the last gift that you leave. Many people avoid planning their trust and legacy until they feel that they must. Something may change in your life like a birth of a grandchild, the diagnosis of a serious health problem, or the death of a close friend or loved one. 
waiting for tragedy to strike in order to get your uh, financial affairs in order is not the best course of action. The emotional stress of that kind of situation can make it so hard to make patient, thoughtful decisions. Taking the time to create a premeditated and thoughtful trust legacy plan will assure that your assets will be transferred where and when you want them when the time comes. The distribution of your assets, whether in the form of property, stocks, IRAs, 401ks, any kind of liquid asset, can be a complicated undertaking if you haven't left clear instructions about how you want them handled. And while you know all that, it can still be really hard to sit down and do it. It reminds you that life is short, and the relatively complicated nature of sorting through your assets can feel like a real daunting task, I know. But one thing is for sure, it's absolutely impossible for your assets to be transferred or distributed the way that you want them at the end of your life if you don't have a plan in place. So I want you to ask yourself, if you or your spouse passed away today, are you absolutely certain what would happen to your property, or are you uncertain about what would happen to it? If you became incapacitated, would your family have to go through court proceedings to carry on your financial affairs? Are all your assets up to date? Does your will leave property to someone other than your spouse? Do you have minor children or other people who are dependent on you? If you were not here to provide for them, would they be in financial trouble? If a death occurred and court approval was required to release accounts for working capital, could it disrupt your family or business life? And I know when Scott passed away, everything was frozen. And so we dug deep in our pockets in it and we just had to start paying for everything. Somebody has to pay for everything to be taken care of. We had to change the locks on the house. We had to uh, pay for the sheriffs to um, evacuate the people, the squatters that had moved in. Um, we had to pay, I mean, just it seemed like every single day there was something that was costing money. And uh, though we got it back when the estate was liquidated, are there people in your life that have those kind of resources that can do that? How about this? Do you have children by a previous marriage? Do you own any assets in your name alone? Have your primary and contingent beneficiaries uh, been clearly designated? Does your plan allow for the restriction of a beneficiary? Does your current plan allow for multi-generational payout? Your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids? Would you like to avoid probate of your estate? Answers to these questions are so critical if you want the final say in how your assets are handled and distributed. If you'd answered yes to any of those questions I just said, then you need estate planning. Yes answers indicate potential issues in the areas of tax, cost, and delay of probate, or simply lack of a plan which carries out your wishes. Planning through a will or trust can solve these problems and create a respectful legacy plan. Estate planning is easy to procrastinate on. And in order to accomplish this portion of your financial planning, I want you to take the time to consider who to retain for the service and what your wishes are in the event of incapacitation or death. Protect your assets from unnecessary tax and administrative expenses and delays. Make a point of it to further research and find somebody that you trust to arrange a personal consultation. Believe me, your family will thank you for it. If you would like more information, questions answered, or the PDF on how to prepare for a living will and trust, then come visit me over at SuzannePorsky.com. It's www.SuzanneSuzannePorske.com. Or email me at Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at SuzannePorsky.com.
or call my office. My direct line to my desk is 918-267-4640. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to hearing from you soon and assisting you in any way that you may need it.